we have been going through the book of Genesis. And I was talking to Rick this morning in the hallway as, as he was coming in, and I mentioned to him, you know, when I, I, this is the first time I have mapped out what I'm going to be preaching on a year in advance, but I mapped this out six months prior to beginning the year. And I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. And I met with some of our church leadership. And I said, here's what we're doing. Okay, let's do it. One of the things that, uh, for, for a, a, a preacher to do is to, all right, we're going to preach this. And then you have all of a sudden this feeling that, wait, you've got to change your message. That hasn't happened yet with this series. As it turns out, every message that has come in the day and time for which I have spoken, it's been very apropos to what we are trying to do as a church, but also it's been very apropos to a lot of you that have pulled me aside and I said, thank you, I needed that. So we're going to continue uh, again. Now, if you have read this, the Bible before and if you've read the book of Genesis at least once, you, you may be familiar with the tale of Cain and Abel. But this is Genesis chapter 4. And the challenge that I have is to condense the entire chapter into one message. There's so much, I, I could spend an entire year just on Genesis chapters 1 through 4. And so today I want to leave you with one particular question that I will ask now, which is embedded in partially in the, in the title. A legacy of what? So I'd like to invite you to review with me here what has happened and what has transpired up until this point. Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation account. Genesis chapter 2, we also have the creation account. We have seen that the different perspectives on those two stories bring us a different worldview. They give us a different uh, idea. But then we also see that all of this has been God's grace, right? No one asked him to create anything. No one told him, here's how you should do it. Here's the, here's the map. Here's, here's the roadmap to creation. Here's the blueprint to how to bring humanity to life. He just does it. It's an act of grace in and of itself. But then in chapter 3, we have the fall. And in chapter 3, we see that God condemns Adam and Eve to death. And we see that death is an act of mercy. We have to understand death as a, an act of God's grace. Why? He says it out there in the text. Man, 
Can you imagine living in the state of sin for eternity? The world is bad enough already, and the medium life expectancy right now is about 75 years, give or take a few. And if you're over that, God bless you. But do you really want to live that way? Do you really want to live in a condition of sin, with pain, with death? And God said, no, no, I'm going to, this is an act of mercy. He also gives man the laborious chores that he originally gave him to keep and tend to the garden prior to falling. He says, okay, you will still do the same However, it's just going to be harder. You're going to eat with the sweat of your brow. The implication there is that it wasn't going to be a chore. It wasn't going to be laborious. It was going to be fun. Right? My kids, I said, hey, come here. Help me, Dad. Help Daddy plant these seeds. That's boring. It's not fun. It's laborious. It's like doing a chore. When I tell my kids, hey, go clean your room. Go do your bed. Oh, Dad, do I have to? I'm just going to get my bed again. Amen. I feel your pain. Or you, you feel mine. So these things that God continued to give us are to remind us of what we had, and we chose to squander it away. And he also tells us in this whole thing up until this point that grace isn't free. It actually costs something. Grace is given to him who gives himself 100% to God. Not 80. Grace is given to those who profess to claim Jesus as Lord, and we see this throughout Scripture, but here the redemption in of itself costs something. It wasn't free. And then we have this illustrated at the very end of chapter 3 where Jesus, God, gives Adam and Eve tunics of skin so they could close themselves. Again, remember, we, we saw this last week, that Jesus did for them what they could not do for themselves effectively. Because they tried to sew them, themselves clothes of leaves of, from a fig tree, and Jesus said, no. I'm going to do you one better. Here it is. Suede. And so he gave them tunics of leather with the cost of an animal's life. The Bible doesn't tell us. It's all implicit at this stage. Because when we look at chapter 4, we begin to see a little bit more, a bigger picture into this world of sacrifice. So I invite you, 
to look and let's dive deeper into chapter 4. There, chapter 4 is broken up into three different scenes. We're going to highlight them really quickly today. Three scenes, and the first scene is Cain and Abel. So chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Adam, I'm going to read here from the Message Bible, because it's very contemporary. And let me just put it out this. I know we have kids in our, in our church, but the Bible is also very explicit about the appropriate sexuality within the house and throughout humanity. Some of your, your versions may say, And Adam knew his wife. The word know comes from an intimate knowledge, and, and the interesting part is it's used to highlight exactly what this is saying. They slept together, they, they procreated, okay? But the word no, which is the actual word that is translated from the Hebrew, is only applied to humans, not to animals. That the act of itself refers and infers intimate knowledge between two people, not an instinctual behavior. That's and this is the one drawback of this version, because they may give the idea that this may have been instinctual. It's not. It's intentional. So let's move forward. And she conceived and had Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man with God's help. I need to pause here for a minute because when you look at this text and you understand the context of Adam and Eve, and you understand the concept of Cain and Abel, we understand that Eve fell. She chose to eat of that tree. But when you read into it, do you remember what her problem was? She focused on the prohibition rather than the provision. And as a result of focusing on the prohibition, she's thought to herself that it was her duty to search. She wasn't going to depend on God's instruction. She wasn't going to depend on what was already given her and granted to her she was going to go and find out herself. So when you read this text, that I have done this with God's help, it's almost as if saying, I had a part of this, and God gave me a hand. Tracking? So when she has this, notice that as a result of sin, her continual conceptual of understanding of her and God is that she still has ownership of her life. And God is there just to supervise sometimes. Okay? Tracking? Let's continue. In time past, and Cain brought an offering to God from the produce of his farm. Abel brought an offering, but the, from the firstborn animals of his hand, herd, excuse me, choice cuts of meat, and God liked 
Abel in his offering. But Cain in his offering didn't get the approval. Cain lost his temper and went into a sulk. That's what, in some of your versions, says, and his countenance fell, right? It's actually more of a hissy fit. You know, when, when, when you guys will understand, when you don't like something, you're like, I don't want to do it. It's a hissy fit. And for us grown-ups, we, we, we laugh. We think it's cute sometimes, but not really. We call that stubbornness, hard-headedness. And he went into the field, and he was mad. God addressed him. He said, well, why are you upset? If you do good, will it be accepted? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. And if you do bad, will it not be accepted? And there's no answer back. When you read the text, Cain does not interject, does not dialogue with God. It just, it's a blanket statement that God has, and it's like crickets. Nothing's going on. And then he goes and he talks with Abel, and Abel calls him out. Now, the, the story infers all of this because what happens next is we have the very first case of murder. Cain kills his brother. You see, the problem with Cain, and I have to go back here to this part of the text. What kind of offering did Cain bring? Vegetables and fruits. The, the produce of his, right? He was a farmer. Hey, side note. You know farmers and shepherds are at, eat at each other's throats all until today? Okay, side note. So the, the farmer brought a lamb and the shepherd and excuse me excuse me the shepherd brought a lamb and the farmer brought his produce. Did he bring the best of his produce? We often think that he did. Because the very next verse it says that Abel did. He brought the choice meats. He brought the very Firstborn, the one, the, the, so we associate that, but the Bible actually says that he brought some of his choice produce. Not all. See, when you look at the context, there is a trend now that is happening. The Bible tells us that uh, the, the sins of their fathers will follow their, for how many generations? Three to four. What was Eve's original sin? It wasn't that she bit the apple, but it was the idea that she knew better than God knew better. So she puts herself into a position of danger. And now Cain, the same one who was named because Eve only needed God's help, is, has put himself in the same shoes. And you can start to see a pattern developing here. Because hypocrisy is different than genuineness. Hypocrisy is not just the ability for one person to, to have to say, hey, I do this, 
but it, it is actually the outward manifestation of what's inside. Jesus himself said that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What he's saying is just not about words. It's also about actions. The hypocrisy in Cain's sacrifice was that he only supplied enough, expecting it to be enough for God. How many times do we do the same? Do we come to church, mercy, with just enough to have an outward appearance that we are here 100%. How many times do we, within our own household, do enough to show that we are Christians? You catch my drift. That's hypocrisy. That's called being two-faced. That's actually being like Cain without the murder. But it's still being like Cain. I'll come back to that statement later. But let's continue. So Cain goes out and murders his, his brother, kills Abel, and God comes out and says, sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. From the beginning of time, God is telling Cain, you need to take charge of your own life. In the sense where, when you recognize that sin is knocking at your door, you need to recognize what it is for what it is and kill it. Why am I saying this? Because what happens next? What happens next is that God, as he calls out Cain, he puts a mark on him, say, hey, no one's going to touch you, but you're going to work the ground, and it's not going to give its yield back to you. And because it doesn't give its yield back to you, you're going to wander from place to place, thinking that you're going to be able to find a home. And the Bible tells us that Cain's absolute reaction was, this is too much for me to handle. You see, hypocrisy leads to remorse when genuineness leads to repentance. He was, not rem he was not repentant at all. He was remorseful. It's like getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Or for me, in my case, as you heard my story before, is when I eat one cookie, and I said, well, let me cover this up, and I eat an entire row, and then when my mom asked me if I eaten, I said, nope. I wasn't repentant. I wasn't even remorseful until she punished me. But going to this text, ready to pounce. You know, there's the, the exact same words here, and it doesn't matter what translation you use, the same word for pounce there is used in the New Testament in a book called 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. It says, keep your cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to what? 
pounced and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Some translation says that the devil is sitting around like a roaring lion, ready to strike. He's crouching. He's ready to jump on you. Is there something right now that you are identifying as a sin that is knocking on your door that is being ready to pounce at you? That's one of the takeaways from this lesson. I told you, I said, not be like Cain, right? How about this text? Excuse me, this text. We must not be like Cain, who joined the evil one and then killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because he was deep in the practice of evil. While the acts of his brother were righteous. But wait, Pastor Art, how was he deep in the practice of evils? The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about him. It's inferred. Because the practice of evil is not necessarily just the outward manifestations of your actions, but is actually the inner thoughts of your mind. Enabling yourself to think and justifying for yourself every action that you make is, oh, it's okay. It's not going to be a problem. Just a little bit here. Remember, that's what got Eve in trouble in the first place. She said, just one bite. One bite's not going to hurt me. I have had conversations with certain individuals. And when they say, ah, Pastor Art, it's, it's just a little bit. Not that big a deal. It's the little bit that put us into this place where we are today. I'm not talking about works or salvation through works. I'm talking about guarding your heart, protecting your mind from the possibility of being pounced upon by the devil. Because all it takes is a, a, a crack in the door. All it takes is just one little, eh, you know, just a little bit. We call that compromise. And so, we should not, the Bible tells us not to be like Cain. Not to entertain these thoughts of compromise, which are equated with practices of evil. Fun fact. The Bible tells us that when he left, that area and began wandering, he settled in the land of Nod. He was a vagabond. Do you know what the word Nod means? The Hebrew word for Nod, which is Nod, means that's where we get the word nomad from, a wanderer. He left in the land, he, he dwelt in the land where he continued to wander. When we choose to be hypocritical, when we choose to be like Cain, we will wander. 
to never find peace. The second story is Cain's legacy. And we find that something happened along the way. When I was doing my master's degree course at Andrews University, I was tasked to read this book as a requirement, Forgiving Our Parents, Forgiving Ourselves. And part of what we had to do in this book is not just write a report, but we also had to do a genogram. Now, forgive me, but I think this one is some, is, it's not mine. I, I've, I've lost my genogram. I have to find it. I can't. But I put one up there that some of you might be able to identify. This is a Luke Skywalker's family tree. Now, what a genogram does is, is you can see that here are the, the dots of parents, okay, of Luke Skywalker. And you can see that there's a blue dotted line emphasizing that he was adopted. Okay? Not his real, not his real parents. And you can see here that these two individuals were Leah's adopted parents. He was a senator. But Luke's and Leah's real parents were Anakin, who became Darth Vader, and Princess Leia. But you also notice that there are some swiggly lines going on here. You see that there is a square with an X in it between Anakin or or this happening, this is, these both are the same, but to Leia, both her father and Darth Vader are dead to her. While you see that Luke Skywalker has an, a violent relationship, a antagonistic relationship with his parents, because he wants to deeply have a connection with his dad, but they are always at each other's throats. Then you see here in a different way that these two have a green, almost like a railroad track type of uh, diagram. And that means that they are best friends. They have a great relationship. But these two also suffer with a bad relationship with the result of Leia and Solo having a child who ultimately goes to the dark side. This is not to give you, if you listened and you heard and understood all of that, you don't need to watch Star Wars anymore. But the point is this, what a genogram does, when you put your family tree together, you begin to find out every single piece of dirt that your family has. And as you begin to find out every piece of dirt that your family has, you begin to identify patterns of behavior. And these patterns of behavior continue to manifest themselves down the road to the second and third and fourth generations. Why is this important? Because the Bible tells us this. At the end, toward you read that, Came settled the land, and he had 
he, he, he had a wife and had children, and then he had seven sons. And then one of his sons, the seventh son, his name was Lamech. And Lamech said to this, he, he was the first polygamist in the Bible. That doesn't make it right. And he said, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Your wives of Lamech, hear me out. I killed the man for wounding me. Hmm. Who killed who for one wounding him? Cain, right? His great, 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 great grandfather. Cain killed Abel for wounding him. But check out what he says. A young man who attacked me. If Cain is avenged seven times, for Lamech, it's 70 times seven. I know there's another sermon here for another time where, G- where Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive a man who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, how many? How many times is he going to avenge? Okay, enough said. But here's, here, here's the thing. You see a contrasting difference between Lamech and, and the genealogy that came from Cain, which will begin in the next chapter. Because the Bible says that when, in, in, right at the end of chapter 4, verse 25 says, Adam knew his wife. Adam slept with his wife, and again, and she had a son, and she named him Seth. She said, God has given me another child in place of Abel, whom, God, who, whom Cain killed. And then Seth had a son, whom he named Enosh. That's when men and women began praying and worshiping the name of God. How many of you ever read over this chapter? not thinking that the, the genealogy was important. Or you skipped the genealogy and you were like, I don't get it. Let me try to help you. Cain's genealogy led to Lamech, who led a life of violence. We just talked about family traits and, and characters and, and traditions, right? And here we have Seth, the one who God replaced. Now, the irony of it all is when you read these chat, the, this verse, the Eve does an about face where it's no longer that God helped her, but God actually did what? He granted her the, this newborn son. At some point, there is repentance in the mind and in the heart of Eve. And she acknowledges God for who he is, a God of mercy, a God of grace. And so here's Seth. Notice the similarity in some of the names. But notice the different outcome. The Bible tells us in chapter 5, which next, will be next week, Enoch, he walked with God and was no more. In other words, he went to heaven. What we do matters. Our choices matters. That is why the question I want to leave you with tonight is 
excuse me, this afternoon, not tonight. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Legacy is not something that happens overnight. Legacy is something that takes a lifelong effort. It, it, legacy is the result of intentionality. Remember, God was intentional in creating us. He gave us certain things to, in order for us to be happy. And he gave us parameters in, in which not to be legalistic, but to be gracious. And when we decide to act like Eve and Cain and decide for ourselves that we know better, our legacy suffers a setback. But it's not just the legacy that, sets us, that is given a setback. It, it, it's those who will come after us if it's not intentional. That's why I strongly recommend that each and every one of you do a family genogram. See if there are any repetitive patterns in your family that you begin and you can step back and say, holy cow, I never knew I am this because of this. You can clearly see right before your eyes. That's why genealogies are important. That's why it matters. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? What kind of legacy do you want your children to have? Don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. God bless you.